We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome on in to uh, Fellowship Bible Church this morning. If you're online, glad that you're able to be with us this morning. Okay. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 John, please, this morning. 1 John, you are... You are stuck with me as your teacher today. Our normal teacher is out uh, caring for his father as he has done over the last months. And I thought just for a little something off the beaten trail here, we would look at First John kind of in a more of an overview fashion. Um, and the, the question that I'm thinking about today, and I thought that I would put it this way for you, is you have, you have children or grandchildren, perhaps, and you have yourself as well. Um, and the question that can bother us sometimes is, are my kids responding to the gospel in the way that they should? Um, and one of the one of the kind of ways that I, I've asked people about that is how are your children responding to when they have sin in their life when they get into a problem with mom or dad or sibling what do they do about that what do we do about that um, and that's a tough question because it you know it shows you your weakness as a parent, that you cannot effect the spiritual change that you would like to see in your youngsters. You don't have the capacity to do that. In what I'm about to say this morning, and actually what we'll maybe have a little feedback on, is not meant to be a list of things that your kids have to do or that you have to get them to do in order to be saved. Okay, It's not that. This is more of what John is going over is tests or evidences of eternal life. And if you observe these things in your young people in your home or in yourself, again, we're not just kind of picking on our kids, uh, our teens, but uh, if you observe these things, then you have warrant to know that something good is happening in their spiritual life. If you don't see these things, then you probably uh, feel like I do, and you're a little troubled about the spiritual condition of your youngsters. And this is very important. The other thing is, as you work with your kids, you want to cultivate these kinds of things, not simply external, uh, appropriate external responses to you know, the behavioral stimuli that you put into their life, right? You know, like Pavlov's dog. Uh, 
you know, that they'll, they'll get the, the Benny if, if uh, they behave, they'll get the, you know, the dog will get the bone kind of thing. You don't want to cultivate a legalistic approach to life. You want to cultivate a, an approach that's from the heart and ask, you know, your children or cultivate in them, work with them to develop this kind of heart attitude uh, toward God and toward sin. It's not, by the way, just toward sin. I mean, that's one big one that we observe, and it's easy to pick on, but there are other ones as well. And so back in the day when I did uh, my study in First John, which I believe was about five years ago, we came up with a, a slide deck of uh, over 280 slides that I, I think I went through with you. I don't know if that was on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights or when that was, but it was Sunday nights. Ann has that memory. That's amazing. Um, and so we went over these things. And actually, I know Jansen went over this stuff with the uh, young people as well. I think somewhat that was subsequent to my study in First John. And so we've touched on this before, but what I thought I would do is just go through John's tests of eternal life this morning um, and see if we might discern some things that we could think about as we work with ourselves and with our young people in our homes and in the church to uh, cultivate this kind of sensitivity to the things of God, which uh, would, for my heart anyway, do me a lot of good to see in, uh, in our young people. So let's look at chapter 1, first of all, and let me read verses 5 of chapter 1, 1, 5 through 2, 2. And um, I'll ask you this question, what test, how would you title this test of eternal life that John is speaking about in this section here? 1-5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Okay, so do you have any input for me? What is this segment of First John concerned about as far as what is the test of eternal life that he's dealing with here? What, how would you describe it? Any, anything at all? I've got an answer that I've listed on my sheet here, but yes? Okay, so Becky says we should admit our sin before the Father. That is certainly true. Certainly true. Anybody else? See anything here? Just in these verses. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, Kevin adds that the stark contrast stands out. Um, it's not, it's often not very difficult to see where you or your child are uh, coming from when you're dealing with this matter of light and darkness or sin. Yes, sir? Yes. Yes, so the tension that goes on in the life between, of a Christian between uh, sin and holiness, between the struggle we have and between the victory that we can have. Let me uh, highlight the kind of dichotomy that John is putting out here. Look at verse, um, let's do it this way. Let's look at 6, 8, and 10 together. 6, 8, and 10. 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, or and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you notice that? If we say, if we say, if we say, but you're not saying the truth. You're not saying the true thing. So here is, my heading is, of this test, the test of one's attitude towards sin, one's attitude towards sin. If you say, you know, you, but you walk in darkness, you say you have no sin, you say you have not sinned, that's the wrong attitude towards sin. If you, could I expand on that just a little bit? If you never admit your sin, what Becky has said, if you never acknowledge your sin, if you never confess your sin to God, if you never confess it or apologize to it to other people who you have wronged, you know, this is where if, you're, if your child is, has, has the verses 6, 8, and 10 attitude towards sin, then that's a bad sign, isn't it? Because the scripture says we walk in dark. If that's our attitude, we walk in darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth, the truth is not in us. Uh, and uh, we make God a liar. When you combine those verses like that, put them together, it becomes very stark. It's like what Brother Kevin is saying. It's like there are two different polar opposites here. It's not like there's a, you know, a fine gray line where we're all walking, and it's like so, it's so hard to tell where somebody's at. You know, I mean, if they they can, you see, see this is the thing. We, I'm so glad my my child or someone has said that they follow God. That's great. But if we say, if we say, if we say, 
And then if we walk and we lie and we don't do the truth and all of that, you know, it gives, it gives the evidence to what is really going on. So what John is doing is he's saying he goes from uh, 6, the negative, to 7, the positive, to 8, the negative, to 9, the positive, to 10, the negative. So he's got this kind of interleaved arrangement here. So now let's look at 7 and 9. What about your attitude towards sin if it's been transformed? Well, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so there is somebody who is not just saying they're walking. There's evidence there. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as you look at those young people and you're asking, how are they responding to sin Is it with confession and asking God to cleanse them, trusting God in the gospel to do that, or are they just saying, nope, I didn't do anything wrong? You know, a hard-hearted, self-defensive kind of position. So has our attitude towards sin changed? And I hope you can see the the, uh, chasm that separates the two positions that people have uh, regarding this. Any questions or questions? Concerns, yes. Okay. Yes, that's. Yeah, so that was a good question uh, Thurman has asked. Can I give a delineation about? how this differs with the age of a child. Um, That is an interesting question. However, the scriptural principle does not change based on age. Um, And so it it is the case that six-year-olds can't understand as much as 16-year-olds. And 16-year-olds can be harder-headed than six-year-olds. None of you parents have... Teenagers have experienced that, have you? (laughs) Uh, I won't say that for the sake of the recording there, brother. (laughs) Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're, for different ages, you're looking for a similar indication. That's what I'm trying to get across. You can't just say, well, you know, this six year old or this 10 year old or this 12 year old has professed faith in Christ, but when they're confronted about sin, they respond very terribly. That's not an indication of saving faith. That may be an indication that they made a profession that, they're, that they felt they should make, that they felt their parents would be happy with. And that's not bad, I mean, but it's something that we need to watch out for, that we don't just say, okay, they made a profession of faith in vacation Bible school or whenever some night, and, uh, but there's no evidence. There has to be evidence. There has to be that work. So what I want to say is the age 
does affect the kinds of sins that a young person can be involved in. But we, of course we have to be age appropriate in our instruction, but we want to cultivate this, you know, like six-year-old, 12-year-old, 16-year-old, what is your attitude towards sin? You're not demonstrating a good attitude towards sin. This has displeased God. It's, uh, it's broken uh, some connection with your mom or dad or you've hurt your sibling or you haven't done your schoolwork the way that you should. You've been lazy or, you know, these teach them the principles and the attitude that they should have towards sin. And you're not going to be able to muscle them into the right response, but you have to teach that and bring that to their attention. When you see the Spirit of God working in a young person, it will be, it sh- it'll probably be quite easy to see compared to what they were before the Spirit of God was working. Josh has a comment or a question. Let me say that for the sake of those listening. True faith will not persist in self-deception. I agree with that. Wrong. Yeah, so true saving faith is going to bring someone out of the attitude of verses 6, 8, and 10 fairly straightforwardly in an amount, you know, some amount of time, but they're not going to persist in that state forever. So helpful to have young people sit and think about what they've done maybe a little bit, cool down. Um, you have, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, so true, true faith will work. See, we, we tend to be defensive when we're confronted with sin in the first place, right? But if you're like, remember the parable that the Lord gave about the tax collectors and the harlots or sinners or whatever that, you know, they said, you know, they, they, they enter the kingdom of God before you Pharisees. It's like the brother who said to the, the dad said, go and do this. And he said, no, I won't. But then he went and did it. And then the, the guy who said, sure, dad, I'll do it. And then he just sat on his lazy boy chair and didn't do anything. Well, which of the two exercised the will of the father? Well, obviously the first one, even though he initially said, no, I won't do it. It's a similar kind of principle. If the, if the person says, no, I didn't sin, that wasn't my fault. But then later on they come around, then they're giving evidence that in fact God is working. Their conscience is functioning in their life. And so we have, we have to obviously make room for that. We also have to make room for the fact that young people are developing. We don't change the principles. Okay? We're never changing the principles, but the young people are developing. And uh, 6 and 16 and 26 are entirely different situations. Many of folks are telling us today that the mind of a young person is not fully developed until they're 25. 25! Now, maybe that's a little too old, but what, you know, that tells you that if you have a 16 or an 18 or a 19-year-old, you don't necessarily have somebody who is firing on all cylinders quite yet, right? So we have to keep that in mind and teach, continue to, to work. 
with them. So has the attitude towards sin changed? And what I want to do is kind of leave you with this thought. If your child's attitude towards sin has not changed, then you have a problem on your hands. You have someone who is not giving evidence of the work of the Spirit of God because the work of the Spirit of God will work in that person and they'll say, man, I, that young person, dad, sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, let's go to chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. I'll read this. Uh, now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. I think obviously here the emphasis is on keeping God's commands. Those who love God will. The evidence of loving is keeping his commandments. If you love me, obey what I say, you know, do the will that I've given you. Jesus said that to his disciples. And so it's, again, he's going, he's kind of doing this, uh, you know, opposite or alternate kind of pattern. He who says but does not keep, but whoever keeps, he who says he abides, you know, should walk. So again, this kind of helpful pattern that is doing that dividing work for us and saying, okay, is somebody here saying but not obeying, or are they here saying and obeying? So do they keep God's commands? Now, one of the, well, I wouldn't say one of, the main command for a child in a home, especially at the younger ages, is to obey their parents. That's the command of God. Now, you know, they're... Of course, two children apply all of the rest of scriptural teachings, right? It's not like we can just say, look, child, just all you have to do is obey your parents. That's the main command specialized for children, but the rest of scripture does indeed apply to them. But especially the very youngest ages, being obedient to parents is a big evidence of whether they are under the auspices of the will of God or not. Um, that, of course, modifies as they get older in the sense that they're, you know, you're trying to develop them into not parent-obedient adults, but adults who stand on their own and are able to make wise decisions and evidence these uh, evidences of eternal life in their own heart, in their own life by themselves. But for a young, young person obeying their parents, it can, can be simply boiled down to that. And then, of course, the rest of the scriptural teaching. So has the attitude towards sin changed? And are we keeping the commands of God? Now, there are seven more of these tests. And let me just jot, have you jot them down. Uh, I'll just run through them quickly because we're not going to have time to go through them at the depth we did the first one here. The third test is do we love God and love others? Um, so, for example, uh, this old and new commandment business that John talks about starting in 2.7 all the way down through 2.17, I think this uh, 
talks about what I'm saying here, loving God first and loving our neighbors as ourselves, the great commandments, if you will. For example, 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here's an evidence. If your young person is loving the things of the world more than they're loving God, then there's a challenge there. Now that, again, let's not just pick on our young people. How about ourselves? Do we love the world more than we love God? The things of the world, the boastful pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the, fle- the lust of the flesh. Yeah, do we love God first and then love others as ourselves, or do we love the world? Number four, do we believe in the doctrine of Christ? Do we believe in the doctrine of Christ? Uh, this is a real, almost like a, I could say a religious test. The others were kind of practical, you know, tests. But here, the doctrinal test of knowing the doctrine of Christ and believing it. Do, does your child and do you believe that Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he came in the flesh? That's in chapter 4, verse 1, which is another subtest of this. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead? Those basic things. Uh, chapter... 218 through 28 talk about the Antichrist, uh, the one who's a liar who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Okay, so somebody can say, Well, I believe in God. And that's very often the case. But do they believe in Jesus? That's really the litmus test. Uh, if you want to know if somebody really walks with the Lord. Number five, do you practice righteousness? Some of these obviously overlap with one another, but I'm just going through the the book here, the end of chapter 2 through 310. Do we practice righteousness? And then John circles around again to one of his earlier tests, and number six, do we love our brother? Do we love our brother? And he comes back to that again in chapter 4, but I haven't repeated it in my list here. I'm just... I'll put it just this one last time. So I'll go through these again. Has your attitude towards sin changed? Do you keep God's commands? Do you love God first and others as yourself? Number four, do you believe the doctrine of Christ? Number five, do you practice righteousness? Number six, do we love our brother? Number seven, do we have the Spirit of God? Do we have the Spirit of God? Verse uh, 24 of chapter 3 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You know, sometimes, uh, hopefully you, you are becoming more discerning like this. When you are speaking with and interacting with another person, you can sense the kind of spirit that they have. You know what I'm talking about? And you know by their words, by their confession, by, their be, by, by the behavior that you see, by their attitude, do they have the spirit of God or do they have the spirit of the world or of nothing? And so you can sense that same spirit in another person. Do you have the spirit of God? Number eight, do you agree that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? This is a basic doctrinal test again, circling back to that one. Do you agree that Christ came in the flesh? 
So if your young person goes off to university and comes back and says, I don't believe those myths. Today it's not just university, it's high school. High school is the new university. What we used to think about 20, 30 years ago is going off to university. That is going off to ninth grade now and what they're doing to kids in the schools. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, um, yeah, so I think Tim's question about the, the sin lists and the ones that add in the list the disobedience to parents, I think in those contexts you're probably talking about older, older kids. Every child is born estranged from the womb speaking lies. We've all gone astray. You know, we know that. There's a, a point in time when... That's why the, the children are put in the homes, hopefully, of Christian parents who can guide them and begin to discipline them and shepherd them along the way that they should go. But if, if your teenager consistently is disobedient and will not listen, uh, that is a time when you can speak to them about those portions of Scripture. I mean, you can do this with at any time, but... You know, for, for example, one of the sins that's in the sin list in Romans 1 is, is lack of gratitude. Have you ever had a teenager that's been lacking in gratitude? Never. Huh? I mean, that is not like a, a white lie kind of sin, a venial sin or whatever, the, you know, a minor sin as some people like to call it. Lack of gratitude? When... When you sit at the table as a young person and your parents, by God, have provided you everything for that meal, even if you have nothing else, you have clothes on your back and food on the table and a bed to sleep on, and you're dirt poor otherwise, you have enough to be grateful for right there. But our kids can learn from the society working on their own sinful nature, this entitlement mentality that I've got to have everything, and if I don't, then I'm not thankful. You're never going to be happy until you're thankful for what you have. And so to go back to what, Tim, your question is, um, you know, in the Old Testament, if, it, if a son was rebellious against his parents, that was cause for a capital punishment. Now, that sounds terrible to our ears today, but you know what? There are a lot of kids that would be much more in line with their parents if they knew that there were serious consequences to being disobedient. And, and we have kids who are out of control today. Their parents aren't disciplining them. And you have, you know, mid-teenage years kids going to school with guns and shooting up the place. What? You know? Back my my dad's uh, testimony was they brought their they brought their guns to school 
to shoot and show off and, and, uh, and have a, a firearm safety class. And I mean, they're long gone. Today, people wouldn't even think of doing that. But why could they do that? Because if those kids messed around with their gun when they were at home, you want to know what dad did? Ask Thurman. He'll give you an idea of what dad would do. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a totally different ballgame. Now, that sounds odd probably to people listening on YouTube, but it's true. I mean, you know, it's just what happened 50, 60, 70 years ago and more. Um, so, yeah, old, older kids, when they get into that rebellious uh, stage of uh, and serious, serious rebellion, you've got a major problem on your hands. And, and parents are warranted to tell their teens, look, here's what Scripture says. You're giving evidence that you're not regenerate. So don't tell me that you've made a profession of faith and it's somehow your ticket to heaven. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. And we as parents, we have to insulate ourselves against this happening in our lives. You know, our son or our daughter goes off and they get into a lifestyle, say, that the schools teach them, and then we just crumble. And we say, oh, well, you know, we change our view on that and LGBTQ is okay now because I have a child that's gone into that. No, that's not right. It's not right. But it may happen to somebody in this assembly. It may happen to somebody that you know. And it's a very, very bad situation. But uh, that's why you need to protect your kids from all that foolishness that's going on out there in the world. Finally, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Chapter 5, verse number 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So if you say you love God, you're going to love Christ. If you don't love Christ, then you're saying, I don't love God either. Despite all protestations to the contrary, if you deny Christ, you deny the one who sent him. So those are the nine tests. And as I said the book of 1 John is not laid out like a textbook of test one, test two, test three. It kind of rotates through them and reviews them with you about sin and the, the doctrinal tests and the love test and the practice of righteousness and do you have the Spirit of God. But those are things that you need to look for and try to cultivate in your children's lives. We need to stop because the time is gone from us. But I hope that's helpful. And parents, just a personal note, don't, uh, don't despair. Keep praying. Ask others to pray for you. Be humble about that. We ask you to pray for our three boys, and uh, we'll pray for yours. And if you have specific requests, let us know. Um, and uh, don't rush them into a decision just because you feel like you've got to get them saved. Don't rush them to the waters of baptism until they're ready for that themselves. Okay? They want to be baptized. They want to tell others that they're believers in Christ, and they're not so ashamed or so fearful of it that they will do it. You know what I mean? Um, so be patient. God's not done with them yet. He's not done with you yet either. <laughs> so let's be, uh, let's be patient as with the patience of Job or better yet, the patience of Christ as we work and, uh, and minister to our children. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask that you would help us as we've just had a little 
uh, kind of almost workshop uh, dealing with some of the things that are troubling to us with our young people. And uh, Lord, I suspect that some of us probably uh, had parents who were likewise troubled about us and our youth. Thank you for their work and patience with us and how you worked in us. Ultimately, as your work, not our parents' work, not our work, but your work. Lord, for anyone here today who may have young people in their home, teenagers or younger, young adults, who are not exhibiting the fruit of salvation, I pray that you will bring that fruit into that home, that you will bring salvation to that young person, that you will help the parents to cultivate this kind of approach Uh, not to make a quick profession, evangelical, uh, get them a ticket to heaven kind of approach and just be glad and be done with it, but really this deep cultivation of the spiritual life of a true believer. We pray your help, God. We acknowledge our weakness, our inadequacy. We are unable to effect the kind of change that is necessary, so we call out to you in our weakness. Would you please help each and every family here each of us here, because we too have our problems with sin and love of the world and and, uh, making sure that we're walking in righteousness and loving our brothers and all these things. We thank you for answering our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.